Malcolm Holmline's coming up next. I remind you, he will be Pesach in Puerto Vallarta. Go to PesachInVallarta.com or dial this number, 786-290-5919. Again, that's 786-290-5919. Malcolm Holmline is executive. Oh, and a big shout-out to our friends at JewishWorldReview.com. You can print out hundreds and thousands of articles before Shabbos to read over Shabbos about uh, what's happening in Israel and the Jewish world, jewishworldreview.com. Malcolm Holmline is executive vice chairman of the Conference of Presidents of Major American Jewish Organizations, joins us for the weekly update on this Friday morning era of Shabbos. Mr. Holmline, welcome back to JM in the AM. Bukatov to you. Nice to speak with you. Is, <laughs> you too. is that the accent you picked up in Puerto Vallarta? In this is I'm practicing. <laughs> I'm doing Mexican. You, you don't even. You don't, you don't even. It's such an amazing program. I want to be ready. For. You don't even know what language they speak down there. I bet <laughs> Yiddish. <laughs> is that what it is? Yeah, the Seder in Yiddish. Uh, well, after taking responsibility Sunday morning for Saturday's air attacks against Iranian arms warehouses at the Damascus International Airport, Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu went a step further in the afternoon and said those attacks will intensify if need be. First of all, Malcolm, and you know, call me a cynic, but I mean, would he have made as big a public declaration about these attacks? if not for being in the middle of a prime prime ministerial campaign. That's number one. And what do you think he means in terms of the attacks intensifying? Was it just a, a blanket warning to Iran that Israel's standing by if they play games in the Middle East? I think that uh, there are a number of factors, and it, it took people by surprise. And, of course, there's always a tendency during an election to, to politicize any decision, any statement, uh, and... <laughs> That's certainly the case here. But I think there are a variety of considerations. One is that uh, it was a warning to Iran and a reminder to them to and to, to tell the Russians we're going to continue to do what we need to do. After his discussions with Putin, where essentially uh, we understand he said that Israel, as he has said publicly, will take the steps necessary. Remember, he also speaks as the defense minister right. and the foreign minister. And the communications minister, <laughs> and um, uh, with portfolio, without portfolio, got them all. a number of portfolios, right? <laughs> so, uh, and I think there's an additional factor, and that is that I don't think that the Iranian government was being given the facts, or they believed they weren't being given the facts about the heavy losses that were sustained, and that this was a message to Soleimani and through and to the Iranian leadership uh, that. Uh, have you guys really assessed uh, Soleimani knows, but whether the government officials know is is a big question. And also to the Iranian people, to let them know what they're losing, what the sacrifices are in their continued uh, occupation in Syria and presence in Syria. So it could be for domestic consumption in Iran, certainly domestic consumption in, in Israel, and, um, and messages to the parties across the border. There are uh, other factors as well when one considers uh, Eisenkot is leaving, uh, finishing his term, and this was his farewell speech, and he talked about 2,000 bombs being dropped. It's, esta- it's establishing his record and of his years of, uh, of service. So 
So I think that all of these perhaps uh, figured into the decision, but there, there's been a tendency uh, for some time to take uh, credit, some say, or at least take responsibility for these acts. You know, you, you, you raise the point that, I mean, I, I don't know if anybody knows the answer to this, but if you'd poll honestly, if, if, you, if you would do an honest poll of Iran's citizens, would the majority of them want out of Syria? You see the demonstrations by the hundreds of thousands of people, including now, and nobody talks about these are not as big as the massive demonstrations were, but they're ongoing. Thousands and thousands every year of demonstrations against the economic conditions, against the social conditions, against the drought, against the government corruption are taking place. And the government is very uh, careful about not reporting a lot of what is happening in uh, in in Syria. Right. And for a while, if you remember, they uh, Hezbollah, for instance, uh, would deny the losses. They would quickly bury people. And then they started taking credit and doing it publicly because the losses were becoming too obvious to the people uh, that, uh, you know, these were martyrs defending the borders, um, trying to, to idealize their involvement in uh, in in Syria in ways that uh, Lebanese people would be more sympathetic and more appreciative of it. It did not work. And, you know, you, you can never tell what the public knows or, or doesn't know. There's just a new poll out today that shows that uh, a very significant percentage of the American people, a majority, uh, favor keeping the troops in Syria, which is counterintuitive that most Americans in most polls, they show that they want the troops back home and certainly... You know, president has advocated that. So it's hard to know in, in a close society how much people know or don't know. They get news usually from non-Iranian sources for information like that. Right. So the prime minister is serving not, not really as a as a he's not really issuing a warning. It's a good there's a good possibility the majority of Iranian citizens are quote unquote on his side on this issue. He's just giving them information, giving them information they probably wouldn't know about if he wouldn't make it public. Right. And I know for a lot of people, they say, well, how can people in the 21st century not know? You know, they may, they don't get the details. The, the um, Iranians this past week uh, launched that missile that we were talking about for a couple of weeks, and this, which is in the view of many, including even the, the French came out and told Iran to stop these uh, ballistic missile attacks because the, these uh, are violation of Security Council resolution and of the agreement, the 2015 agreement, because it, it, that bans all ballistic missile activities designed to carry nuclear weapons. And they can't even test ballistic missiles of that kind and ballistic missile technology. Uh, so... Um, the, the the French, the other European countries, Netanyahu said that the the Iranian satellite launch was an attempt to develop an ICBM. But the fact is that the launch failed. And yet Rouhani went out, the president, and praised the success of the launch because if the people aren't told what a disaster it was, and only later did the um, Minister of Telecommunications admit that it failed to reach orbit. So the first they, they try to convince the people that there is a, a great success, and then they, um, you know, they had to admit the, the failure because everybody else was reporting it and acknowledging that it uh, that didn't make it into, uh, into orbit. 
but that's why you know it's credible to believe that they don't know the real facts about what price they're paying there. And once the real story comes out, they can't spin it in any positive manner. It's exactly right. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the Iranians now are deploying um, uh, ships in the Western Atlantic, which is a great concern and should be. And they're docking in Venezuela, but they're, they're patrolling on the corridors that lead to the, to the United States. And the Russians are there as well, and they could be hooking up and doing this uh, together to join patrols. But, you know, they have a very little Navy, and yet they're deploying for six months or more in uh, in the Western Atlantic. It's part of the, you know, aggressive approach that they take, and they try to show the flag, but they want to counter-threat the United States. And we know that they have stealth subs that we've talked about, these little submarines they made at home, and they've made uh, um, other ships and, and of course, uh, uh, other um, armed uh, arms uh, because of the embargoes and everything. They, they've turned to making more of this stuff at home. But the, these things are not really capable of going to the Western Atlantic. They are capable of harassing our ships and to in the Gulf and in the Straits and, and threatening them, and they use mines to constrict the shipping. Uh, so the Iranian uh, adventurism and, and expansionism of, is continuing, and they are, are working in bigger and bigger areas to, to, threat, to pose a threat, uh, even admitting that they can enrich to 20% the uranium in, they have in four days. And the agreement states that they have to be, they can't go above a capacity of 3.67. So this is clearly a violation coming from their own leadership. And yet they don't seem to pay any price for it. Boy. Uh, the IDF announced the end of Operation Northern Shield on Sunday after it discovered a sixth cross-border attack tunnel belonging to Hezbollah in northern Israel. Now, first of all, as I as I wrote on Facebook, this tunnel's a doozy. I mean, it's got some it's got some measurements and it's got some a lot of space and some very sophisticated material and weaponry in there. Uh, that's number one. Number two, we're confused as regular people why this puts the Operation Northern Shield to a close. Because did they know that there's six and no more than six tunnels up north? Well, you know that they've been monitoring them for a long time. We know that they have a pretty good idea of where their tunnel, where the tunnels were being built. It does not mean that they're stopping the surveillance. It means it's an end of the very intense and broad engagement there with a lot of manpower, a lot of equipment to search out the tunnels. They destroyed, they found the sixth one and are in the process now of destroying it and they fill it with liquid cement. They do other things in explosives um, to make sure that they're not uh, reused. But it doesn't mean it's an end to deployments completely in the north. They're obviously looking all the time for new tunnels because we know that is the, the pattern. But the tunnels there take a long time. They involve underground digging, and Israel has put sensors in the ground that will detect uh, good part of or the likelihood of of any drilling going on pretty early on and then they follow it to see you know how, how far they're going to go and before they become operational they act against it so for now i think that uh, that was what the declaration uh, meant that it was a uh, again i don't know for political purpose other purpose to to the state you know we've done the job here we were able to bring uh, some of the people home 
and we'll continue to be vigilant. You saw some of the things that the tunnel contained, right? It is quite amazing. Hulu, Netflix, uh, it's, uh, <laughs> it's incredible to see what advanced uh, design uh, that they had electricity, they had uh, communication systems, and a lot of things built into it, including carving steps inside the mountain. Uh, it's really uh, unbelievable, the investment they make in, in it at a time when the people don't have food and, and are complaining about the, you know, the cost that, that the, the wars and the conflicts have taken in, in Lebanon. And the whole operation, I, I don't remember the date of the first tunnel discovery, but it was, it was not even two months ago. Am I right about that? I'm thinking. Well, you see, discovery is the key word. They did discover them a lot earlier. The, the first announcement and public action against it was just a few months ago, but uh, but they knew and they've been watching these things. It took six months a year to 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 get to where they got in in you know drilling through the mountain and then up. You know, some of them were were a couple meters wide and many meters high, as you said, a very sophisticated infrastructure there. Unbelievable depth of fifty five meters, which equals a hundred and 80 feet. It's America's one and only Jewish Moments in the Morning Radio program heard on listeners-sponsored digital radio. Around the world, the web at NahumSiegel.com and the NahumSiegel Network, and of course on the beloved NSN app. A reminder, a lot of these issues that we discuss, especially those that are really hot-button issues in Israel, Mayor Weingarten discusses during the Israel show 9 a.m. Eastern time right after JM and AM on Mondays, including this coming Monday. And don't forget, he'll be here for the Tu B'Shvat special, Bezrat Hashem, this coming Monday. And now, Malcolm, the story that I think uh, every, I think a lot of our listeners certainly were concerned about. U.S. President Donald Trump's deal of the century expected to be rolled out after the Israeli elections April 9th will include a Palestinian state on 85 to 90 percent of the West Bank and the division of Jerusalem, according to a Channel 13 news reports referring to Channel 13 in Israel. And um, and then, of course, there have been many denials already from the White House that this is not, uh, in fact, the peace plan. What can you tell us about the latest rumors regarding the Washington peace plan? Well, until it's revealed, there's going to be constant speculation. And until the key parties, and, and you have to give them credit that they've been able to contain the information, uh, and there haven't been leaks, and I think it's because that there are only a few people who really know what's in the proposed uh, plan. Uh, but right now, in, during the election in Israel, there's no way they're going to put forward a, a plan. You, you would It would become so politicized immediately and probably kill it. Uh, but I, I thought that the interesting thing is the, is the um, reaction of the PA, where they already rejected the plan, Based on this report, and know that, and then of course the denials that the report was inaccurate about what what it asserted. I wonder what uh, they don't like about it. They don't like anything about anything that this administration does, and they will have made clear that they will not negotiate with the people from the administration. I haven't don't even talk to them now, so they'll be bypassed if uh, I guess the things could move ahead. At least with other Arab countries, they are. Who are losing more and more interest in the in the Palestinian issue, while they pay lip service, and of course it's you know concern to their people, and they feel that they have to to engage in it. But what they tell us is is very different. They're tired of the kleptocracy, the you know the fact that he's in the, in ten years overdue on his election or more, and yet he stood at the podium, meaning Abbas, uh, this week as head of the G77, which is the largest group of uh, a block 
in the United Nations. There are 134 countries, I think, in the GCC and the G77. And the the you know he took the platform at the UN to denounce Israel, and now speaks allegedly in the name of, of tries to speak in the name of a group. I think they'll get tired of this when they have they're supposed to deal with economic development and growth et cetera um and uh, he he's hijacking and he doesn't represent a state how do you get the so position there was an election and of course it's the UN so the majority especially when we're dealing well, with well it's no it's not the vote in the UN it's a vote in the G77 which is a, an organization of its own so it's not a UN group it's like the G20 the G8 right. you know this is the G77 this is the groups that were supposedly um, you know neutral initially but but uh, really uh, underdeveloped countries uh, and developing countries. I thought his position. To, to I, I thought, collectivize the voice. I thought, I thought this distinction uh, was painted as a victory for him at the United Nations. Is that unrelated? To no, what? that's very much related. Oh, it is related. And, and the, that is the interesting thing is that the, at a time when Palestinian people are all complaining and and all the polls show that they largely reject him, and, and uh, at the same time, the the media, the Palestinian media has been proclaiming this as as some sort of a, a huge victory for them. And yet, you know, when he comes home now, nothing has changed. It, it, it has no impact uh, uh, for the people. And I think that the, you know, this is, um, again, the propagandizing that uh, we have so often seen on the international scene. Again, he, he now will try to allege to speak in the name uh, of all these people. And instead, as the known pointed out, you know, they, she should be giving account for the 7% of his budget, which is over $350 million that go to benefits of, of terrorists and their, and their families or the terrorists who are in jail. And he continues say that he is going to do this no matter what, even though the United States, many European countries, and others have urged him to end this the, the pay-to-slay uh, structure. Yeah. Uh, on this deal, by the way, on, on the assumption for a moment that the rumor is true about what it does include, let's say 85 90% of the West Bank, Division of Jerusalem, etc., um, in the last, I mean, let's, I don't know, since there's been a PA, <laughs> They have been offered this deal or a similar one very often in the past, right? This is people who are nervous when they read this should realize that they've been offered a similar deal to this many, many times. And and we don't know what the deal is. Now. I don't like to engage in speculation. Right, I, I got that. The people who are involved are are people who are caring, and um, I I think even the numbers that we read, as you said, that's not a novel um, suggestion, if in fact that is the suggestion. But I have to tell you, more and more people believe that the the option for what they call two-state solution or or even a a real permanent resolution right now is very distant. You don't have a party to it, and, you know, the, the PA keeps rejecting everything that that uh, that it gets proposed they walked away from all those other deals which were 90% 95% 98% of what they wanted right and there's no reason i believe that to, to expect that it will be different there can be different proposals there may be creative steps to take interim steps that you know don't go to to a final agreement and hopefully will create circumstances for it but I think that they they can take constructive steps 
know, there of course the Israelis have always urged economic development, other right. things that you better their life. People feel they have a better stake. It's a way to counter Hamas's growing influence in in the West Bank uh, areas. So. They, you know, there's a lot at stake. Yeah, I'm not trying to cause trouble. I'm, I'm simply trying to calm people down that, you know, we've been down this road all, many, many times Exactly, and, and they shouldn't jump to conclusions. Yeah. And, you know, but every story gets a life in, and until I think you hear it from some authoritative source, either in Israel or here, right. I don't think we should uh, jump off the bridges yet. Also, we're just, like, we've been hearing mm-hmm. about this for so long already. Like, you know, we were, we're essentially waiting two years, when you think about it, right, since the inauguration. We're basically yeah, waiting. This, this is the longest gestation period, I can imagine. Whoever's writing this thing is taking their time. Elon Omar, a newly elected Democratic congresswoman from Minnesota, secured a seat on the House Foreign Affairs Committee Thursday, bringing to that high-level forum experience as a Somali refugee, perspective as one of the first two Muslim women elected to Congress, and dissent as a harsh critic of America's long-standing allies in the Middle East. We know who that includes. Now, I, I, again, on the subject of not causing trouble, I know sometimes it's uncomfortable to speak about specific candidates, uh, especially we know that uh, locally here, uh, U.S. Senator Gillibrand has declared uh, for the presidency, etc. But there is a concern. Let's at least admit that there's a concern about the Democratic Party and the, and the way it might be heading, even among uh, those we were able to depend on in the past, because of of the uh, fringe group, extreme group, call it what you want. We you can tell us how significant this is that she's now going to be a member of the House Foreign Affairs Committee. Okay, so. There are a lot of issues, um, and I think it is very significant. We are very concerned about the trends in the party and the politics in general, the, on the right, on the left. Uh, one is that we should remember this is uh, out of the 535 members of the House and Senate. It's uh, a mute of a mute. This is a small minority. It's a, fel- a handful of people who the press gives way exaggerated coverage to, and exploits, uh, and at the same time, uh, frankly, uh, many people have been asking if the Republican Party could take action against Stephen King. Right. Why isn't right. there some action being taken against uh, these people who not only are pro BDS, associate with anti-Semites and anti-Israel forces, put uh, uh, as um, Taleb did, put uh, covered Israel on a map and wrote Palestine over it, and are swearing in. Right. And uh, they're trying to be provocative. I think they get coverage, and they're trying to build a base. I think this new Congress is stronger in many respects than previous Congress. Uh, the previous Congress was. Uh, I, I think that the support for the pro-Israel measures that are pending is going to be very strong. If you remember, it was Rand Paul who held up the Israel, the 10-year deal with Israel, uh, uh, not, uh, not the Democrats and not the leftists, but the... the um, uh, that bill is now going to pen, is now pending before Congress. The the uh, anti BDS legislation, other things, and and we've heard some people criticizing it at a free speech basis. It's not a free speech issue. Uh, people should read what the Texas Attorney General said about it, and now further action that they're taking. And most of all, listen to what from a. Somewhat surprising source, Trudeau. Oh, I was, and I asked you, I thought that was surprising. I'm saying to myself, wasn't he making but statements? Let, let me come to that in a minute. Sure. I don't want to lose the, your Go original ahead. question. Right. Uh, 
because it, it, is, it opens up such a Pandora's box of issues. Um, but I am very disturbed, and I think this is outrageous that they got a, that, uh, that she got appointed to the Foreign Relations Committee when she has espoused the views she has. I don't know how they hold them to account without, and I've talked to many Democratic leaders, congressmen, they are all upset about it, and they they see it as a threat, even members of Black Caucus who see it as as a dangerous trend. Uh, the, these are, are people who know nothing, and every time they get a real in-depth interview that demonstrates that they don't know anything. Most got elected by a fluke, and if you study their elections, you see they got elected with a minority of the vote. Uh, and in, in uh, Octavio Torquez's, Cortez's case, it was, uh, what, 10% or, or a little bit more. Right. Uh, but the minorities didn't vote for them. Uh, it, it, I think blacks and Hispanics split, and the blacks voted two to one against her. And it was a small group uh, in a gentrified area that really put her over. And most of all, it was Crowley's failure to to campaign and to be home and to – and he, by his admission, by the right. way. Right. He knows uh, he blew it. Right, and so you know you got to study. In each of these cases, you see that in Michigan there were there were five African American candidates, and they divided the vote. And each circumstance is different. The fact is they're there and they're being given a platform because they say outrageous stuff, which is exactly what the press wants. And we don't want to feed that frenzy, but at the same time. I think holding Democratic leadership to account about how they handle this is very important. And the same way, holding Republicans or extreme rightists who who do the same thing or who take outrageous positions, to hold them to account. This is, you know, it's not insignificant. And when she, she in her case, it seems, and it's been alleged lied about before the election, saying that she did not oppose BDS, and then of course the day afterwards came out and said she she not opposed. I mean she didn't support BDS, and of course the day after the election, right. reversed that position. Now denies you know that she flip flopped. How do you, how do you become a committee member? Is there confirmation? Is it an appointment by one person? How does it work? How do you become the the, the speaker appoints, and that's it. And there's no but con- there's a process. Well, there is a, an internal process, of course, and the the. Um, um, you know, there's a limit to how many chairs, you, chairmanships you can hold. But it's not many, one of these public confirmation hearings. It's not like one of those things. I mean, no, it's, it's not, not a public right. okay. process. So this is it. It's a, it's a, it's uh, but people compete because they want to get on foreign relations or, you know, in some cases they have a special interest like Max right. Rose on, I on get that. But veteran all affairs. But all I'm saying is if she's now going to be a member, it, it tells us the Speaker of the House wanted her to become a member of that committee, correct? Or owed it to her, whatever, however you would, you would put it. Or gave it to her, right? And and why is the big question? And I hope that Elliot Engel, who's the chairman of the committee, and we'll have to deal with her in that capacity, will will um, you know? I'm sure will be very strong on on this issue. And I don't know that he acquiesced to it. We have to find out. You know, Steve King, you mentioned he's been in Congress since '03. Was he ever reliable on Israel? Why am I thinking that there were times that he was? What we would call "quote unquote" a friend of Israel. Am I wrong about that? Uh, I really would have to go back and check. Uh, oh, so nothing, but, nothing know, dramatic. N- n- nothing who, who support measures for Israel for other reasons, but right. still flirt with extreme elements who are anti-Semitic or themselves engage in anti-Semitism. You can have people who are pro-Israel, and then they're pictured or, or perceived as voting for, for legislation supporting the U.S.-Israel relationship, and yet they're being pictured with the most vicious anti-Semites and Farrakhan being one of them. Right, got it. I, I don't believe you. You know that you can be both. Right, got it.
And now tell me about Trudeau. So I wasn't wrong. <laughs> when no, I, when this I, is very important. And, you know, people were, were hesitant about Trudeau's uh, right. election. And, and it's interesting that he cited our good friend Erwin Cutler in his, his response when he was challenged at a town meeting and asked, do you, do you, uh, would you apologize or ask demanding an apology for his uh, support for the anti-BDS uh, legislation, right? And he gave the most articulate defense uh, of of his position and saying he would not back off, he would not. And when a country is singled out, and he talked about the anti-Semitic core of BDS, I mean, it was an amazing response. And people can go online and see it. I wouldn't do it justice just to quote uh, some of the words. You got to r- listen. And the intensity with which he says, and he said, people are free to oppose it, and um, uh, but it really took a really strong position, uh, which I wish we would hear articulated here more often. Yeah, uh, Twitter went nuts. By the way, <laughs> a lot of people who were relying on him to be anti-Israel were pretty upset about his uh, presentation about his. Oh yeah, the, the, the anti-Israel. Yeah, were I mean, very it, upset. he he outrightly. And, but condemned. he got a very big round of uh, initially the questioner. Got significant applause when he finished, um, but when the uh, prime minister finished, he got very solid support for his stand. Well, he even mentioned it goes against Canadian values, which I thought was a good uh, line. Very interesting. Yeah, very interesting. And well. the three Ds talked about how delegitimization and demonization. I mean, it showed he really understood it, and he he, he has uh, you know um, grasped the real significance. Of BDS. Do you think this story about the FBI discovering a 21-year-old who wanted to uh, uh, plan a jihad attack on the on Washington D.C. should have gotten a little bit more attention? Well, first of all, it's not the only case. You know, I, I have often discussed how many cases there are, and that it's often at least one a week where we see people being charged in the United States with. Um, these kind of attacks or plotted attacks, and in some cases, you know, the FBI was a sting operation. In other cases, they got information on on a alleged attack, and we don't know how many fail. We only know those that succeed. Um, but this is it, it absolutely is credible, and it's uh, unfortunately more and more common. And the FBI has at least, on average, one a week that want to attack Washington D.C. No, not on a week attack in Washington. I'm saying oh, in one general. a week in the United States. Wow. Uh, that there are cases coming up, and they're not all uh, jihadists, or you know, they could be jihad Muslims, or it could involve others. But in in uh, plots to to engage in these kind of activities, you know, one a week is not a lot. You know, when you look at the numbers in Europe, and you have hundreds and hundreds, and if you look at the number of anti-Semitic attacks in the United States which goes into the many, many hundreds, um, uh, you know, it's that's not a big number. Mm. Uh, anything significant about the timing that Brazil's president's coming to Israel right before the election? We know he's a big fan of Bibi. Well, they have a very close relationship, clearly, uh, of, a, of recent origin, and it's, I'm sure it's meant to be a statement. Uh, certainly Netanyahu is looking for public platforms. He's going to Chad. Uh, this week. Uh, I don't know if he's going to the Davos conference uh, now that the Americans have all canceled. But the, um, um, you know, it's it's more than just an election gimmick, though. This relationship with Brazil is real, and they're talking, he's talking about moving his embassy. Right, but the timing is interesting. Right. 
Uh, there are no more honorary consulates in Jerusalem. And this is, I assume, a byproduct of the embassy move by the United States, right? No longer will Israel tolerate symbolic buildings in Jerusalem. They want practical buildings in Jerusalem. They want that generally, especially with the shortage of housing. And second of all, I guess it also involves parking tickets and the like. But that is a you, that is a byproduct of the U.S. move, right? I mean, they would not have had the nerve to 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 cancel the honorary consulates. Well, the honorary consulates is is a is a gesture. I mean, it's not they don't have any real status. Yeah, but they wouldn't and, have made a big deal about it if the U.S. wouldn't have done what they did, right? I don't know. Maybe it is has to do with with local needs and and. Uh, All right, I hear that. You know, what does it mean? The U.S. wants to buy the Iron Dome system. It means that the army is negotiating to purchase. What's it worth? <laughs> a lot of money. Hundreds of millions of dollars. Well, the purchase price for the whole thing—they haven't disclosed it, but it could certainly well be in the hundreds of millions. So Iron and Dome, the whole system. Remember, but I thought Iron Dome was stuff. partly a U.S. Uh, a U.S. It's, technology. Yeah, but you have to buy the other part. And that's, the U- and US, that's Israel buys technology, buys airplanes, fix, puts in new, new technology and stuff, which often the U.S. benefits from, but they still pay for the plane fully. And that's is, and the remainder of it is Israeli technology. Right. Wow. Unbelievable! I thought I thought we I thought Israel so indebted to the U.S. we should just lend it to them, but I guess I guess it doesn't work that way, huh? Well, somebody has to pay for it. <laughs> I get that, but <laughs> but you know, U.S. has our back. They want to use Iron Dome once in a while, you know. <laughs> well, anyway. it's Iron Dome, and I don't know whether they'll buy the whole system, you know, which includes the David Sling, et cetera, but. Right now, I know they're negotiating about Iron Dome, and remember, Israel still buys has the Patriot missiles in uh, in uh, in operation in Israel. Uh, finally, the Israeli Air Force, for the first time ever, had a joint drill with the Royal Air Force of Great Britain. It isn't isn't it amazing how, on a diplomatic and political level, certain countries and their leaders will say certain things about Israel. And behind the scenes, the most sensitive equipment and information is being shared. Um, it, it is always remarkable, the hypocrisy, that uh, you think you've always seen the limit of it, and it, it, it isn't true. But remember, Mrs. May has been supportive and, right. and uh, friend to Israel, so the, it's the opposition leader, Corbyn, who's the real problem. And, you know, the, the situation there is still in great flux. Israel's had increasing numbers of joint exercises with uh, other countries and participating in broader and broader uh, uh, exercises. They do it with Greece. They've done it with other countries uh, on a regular basis. And this is, uh, and if you've seen, there's this growing Mediterranean initiative, which I've supported for a long time, uh, not only on energy, but also in security and other areas. Is it more about Israeli technology and the desire to learn from Israel as opposed to? Also, Israel's war experience. Remember, most of these countries haven't had a real engagement, um, except those that were fighting in Syria and elsewhere. But this Israel has a, a lot to teach, and Israel learns from it. And it's it's the ability to coordinate that makes a huge difference in the time of conflict. And if uh, you know if their ships and planes are operating in the region, you want them to be able to be, communicate with one another. And it's especially important between the U.S. and Israeli forces, which is why you have so many uh, joint exercises. But the American officials uh, always talk about how much they they learn because, unfortunately. Uh, Israel is tested all the time.
Unbelievable. Well, I thank you. Um, have a wonderful Shabbos, and we will speak again next week. You too. Have a great Shabbos. Malcolm Holmline, Executive Vice Chairman, Conference of Presidents of Major American Jewish Organizations, joins us for the weekly update each and every week here at JM in the AM. I remind you that he's going to be heading to uh, Pesach in Vallarta. Uh, information, go to PesachInVallarta.com or dial. 786-290-5919. Again, that's 786-290-5919 for information.